It is good to be back with y'all uh, again this week, joining you in your living rooms as uh, we are here up at the church and have opportunity to open God's Word before you. Man, I hope you have been contacted this week by your shepherd leaders. Uh, know that the elders and the staff are praying for you. If for whatever reason you haven't been contacted yet, please let us know at the church. You can send us an email at elders at ridgecrest.com. And we want to connect with you. We want to be praying for you and, and helping you in, in whatever ways that you need help. And so we know this is a time where the church body should be caring for itself. And, and we want to do that. We want to minister to you and your family as we are at work and ministering in our community. <clears throat> this morning, uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Colossians. You can go ahead and open your Bible, open your app, or follow along with some of the verses that are going to be at the bottom of the screen this morning. We're in Colossians chapter 1. Verses 9 through 11. Colossians 1, 9 through 11. Paul writes and he says in verse 9, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Let me pray for us once again. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You for its power, for its effectiveness working in our hearts, working in our world, working in our community. Father, I pray in these moments as we have opportunity to study your word that we would be challenged and encouraged. That we would take heart, find strength, find love in you. Father, I pray for the people who are staring at the possibility of losing their job, that you would show yourself to be provider. I pray for those who are sick or in fear of getting sick, that you would show yourself to be healer. Now, Father, I pray that you would increase our trust in you. You are worthy of our trust. You are worthy of our allegiance to you. You are a good Father. We have received your love through your Son. We are sustained today through your Spirit. We submit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul begins uh, a, a word that we're really familiar with, this idea that he's discussing his prayer in particular for this church there in Colossae, and then he's going to go on and, and he's going to describe the various elements of this prayer. So you can begin to think of all the other passages in the New Testament that have this idea of kind of pray without ceasing and, and, and pray on these things. And, and so Paul is modeling this there for them. But he references this, this day that he heard. He says, and so from the day we heard. And so essentially, uh, Epaphras came from Colossae, came to visit Paul, likely, who's in a Roman jail cell. And he's communicating to Paul on behalf of the church in Colossae. And he's related a number of things to them. One of the things in particular has been their faith in God and their love for the saints. And so Paul heard about the hope they have in the gospel, the faith they have in God, the love they have for the saints 
And since he came to know about them, since he came to learn about them, to hear about their struggles, to hear about all the various difficulties they're going through, since that moment, every time Paul gets together, he's caught up and he's praying for them. And what an encouragement. If you're this Colossian and you're sitting in this city, that this apostle is praying for you. He has heard about your situation. He's heard about the challenges that you're enduring, how others have come into your city, and they say, no, 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 no. You need to do things this specific way, or no, 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 no. You need to do this list of things if you're going to please God. And what they know is that Paul is caught up in praying for them. They have made it to Paul's prayer list. Look what he says about his prayer. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you asking. Every time Paul comes to his prayer list and he's working down through it, he's praying for the church in Philippi, he's praying for the the persecuted church, he's praying for the backslidden Christians, he's praying for his adversaries. He's praying for the church in Colossae. And when when you think about prayer, some of us, I think, in this time are tempted to wonder, I mean, is prayer even effective? Does, does prayer even work? Is prayer in some sense just kind of this last-ditch effort? And then others of us have find ourselves, our prayer lives, completely reinvigorated in this time. We're, we're in home quarantine, and we're facing all these difficulties, and, and we see a, a positive news story, we see a negative news story, we see a positive news story, we see a negative news story, and we're wondering in the end of this, who do we believe? And so we have given ourselves the one true and unfailing thing, and we've given ourselves to communion with God through prayer. I want us to kind of recenter our understanding and our idea of what prayer is by looking in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11 and verses 5 through 13, Jesus teaches this parable uh, about the subject and the content of prayer. I think you're going to have these in the comment sections in just a second. But the disciples come to Jesus and they say, in essence, listen, can you teach us how to pray like John's disciples? And so Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is is the reference for Matthew. And so he goes down through this and look at verse 5. He wants to teach them about the, the, the urgency or the unction of prayer. So he says to them, he pitches this story, he says, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. So he concocts this, this story in essence. Listen, you know that frequently when people are traveling through this arid region, they travel at night to escape the heat of the sun. And they say that, that somebody's traveling through and, and he knocks on your door in the middle of the night and he says, hey, I'm here for a visit. You know, I was traveling from this city to that city. Whoo, I'm famished. What do you have to eat? And you kind of run into the cupboard and you're looking through. You're like, ah, I got that. I'm out of these things. I'm even out of toilet paper. And so you're running down through these things, and you notice you don't have anything, but then you remember, you think, aha, that neighbor of mine, not quite a hoarder, but I did see him coming back from the grocery store yesterday. He's toting in all these various bags from Aldi and, and Walmart and Brookshire's and Super One. Every store, I, I think, actually now I think he may be a hoarder. And so you're knocking on his door, and you say, hey, hey, I need something to eat. My friend has been on a journey. He's here. He's hungry. you got to come out and give him something. And then from the deep recesses of the house, I mean, just, you know, deeply buried over in the midst of the house, you hear what sounds like, go away. Look at what Jesus says here. The man calls from inside and says, do not bother me. The door is now shut. And he's a close family. They're in a co-bedding. Look, he says, and my children are with me in bed. 
I cannot get up and give you anything. So in the middle of the night, this guy hears the knock at his door, and he cries out, and in essence, he says, look, I can't be bothered for this. My kids are asleep. I'm asleep. Go away. Well, does the guy go away? No, look what he says. He says, your friend is in there, and he says, go away. I won't get up. My kids are in here. But listen to what he says. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. In essence, listen, your friendship isn't compelling brother to get up out of bed his warm bed and walk on this cold tile floor grab food out of his pantry to help out your buddy who he's never met yet because of his impudence because of his persistence because of his continual asking he will rise and give him whatever he needs so he paints this picture he says listen because he's asking over and over and over again because he's knocking he won't go away your friend's going to get up out of bed he's going to grab some food he's going to give it to you and say will they shut you up Will this satisfy you? Is this what you want? So look how Jesus relates this. It's audacious. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. So the one who seeks finds. So the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you? So he moves from just this insistence to describing God as a father. Now what had he said earlier? He told them, when you pray, say, my father. So here he's inviting them to understand the character of God and the responsiveness of prayer. He says, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Your son says, look, I'm hungry, can I have a fish? And dad just throws a pit viper at him. He says, he's not going to do this. Or instead, if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. And look at how he characterizes it. He says, "If if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What we see from this is this decided urgency of our prayer. I think one of the great things to come out of this is how much it has driven Christians to prayer. Previously, uh, many people gave themselves to kind of casual petitions, casual asking, uh, kind of this, this routine deal, either at meals or uh, at night before you went to bed, just kind of running down through this list of things. Oh, hey, God, it's me again. Yeah, I'm really tired. It's, it's, it's bedtime. Oh, if you wouldn't mind, here's some things that went through my... And just kind of drift off to sleep. But what this situation has given us is a call to the urgency of prayer. Man, we have got to hold on to that. We've got to continually go before the Father and submit our request to Him, trusting in His character, trusting in His goodness, and trusting His ability. Now, God may continue to allow this to run its course, but if God's people will submit themselves to prayer, we will find ourselves moving in ever closer relationship with the Lord as we come to understand His heart and it shapes our hearts to reflect Him and His character. Paul moves into the substance of his prayer. And so we kind of have this understanding that this is, there's an urgency, there's an unction, there's a repetitiveness, there is an earnestness to Paul's prayer. And it's very specific for this church there in Colossae. He says, I'm praying and asking God that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now listen, what we, what we begin to see is, is that Paul's not talking about trying to discern our lives or kind of 
drinking a glass of tea and searching down through the tea leaves saying, oh, look at this. Oh, right over here. It's a grim. That's not good. Oh, look over here. This has me moving in this direction. And trying to understand how God wants us to make amoral decisions moving through this. That's not what Paul is talking about. But instead, it's trying to understand what we should be doing in light of what Jesus has done. Within the plan of the providence of God, it's this understanding that God sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for humanity. And so we understand why God sent Jesus. And in salvation, we understand what he has for us to do. And ultimately, that's to live faithfully to him. To submit ourselves to him, to walk and, and, and be filled by his spirit, and to be engaging all those people that we come into contact with. Now look at how he describes it. He says his prayer is that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, primarily, we are passive agents in this. Primarily, we are passive, obedient agents in this. God is filling us. And so his Holy Spirit comes in. In salvation, God has saved us. He has redeemed us. He's taken our heart of stone and he's given us a heart of flesh. He's moved us from being dead to alive. He's moved us from darkness to life. And he is filling us. We are unable to fill ourselves. But he says it's with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God wants us to be able to discern our motivation. God wants us to be able to look at what he's done and then base our actions on what he has done. He has been faithful. We should be faithful. He was sacrificial. We should be sacrificial. As we are people who are giving ourselves to a careful engagement of, of the use of this spiritual wisdom and understanding, we are applying the knowledge he gives to us. And so look at what he says. He goes on, and, and what he wants us to do is to understand the purposes of God and his character change how we live. When we understand the purpose of God and we reflect, his, we reflect on his character, it changes how we live. So Paul kind of sets it up. He says, listen, I'm praying that God would fill you in all spiritual wisdom and understanding of this knowledge. And so that in doing these things, your life might be decidedly different. But how you live, and look at how he describes how he lived. Verse 10, he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now this idea of walking is something that Paul uses in a number of his different letters. But essentially he just talks about as you go through the normal affairs of life, as you go through the normal process of just kind of living and engaging, so he's not, he's not bifurcating life and saying, listen, you've got your, your religious life over here and you've got your secular life over there. And so God doesn't really care about your secular life. He really just wants you to live faithfully in your religious life, kind of in your going to church and you're reading the Bible. Instead, Paul looks at it and says, listen, your whole life belongs to God from beginning to end. The whole thing belongs to God. And in the course of all of these things, in all of your actions, God wants you to be living worthily unto the Lord fully pleasing to him. This question kind of comes to us. When we make opportunity or we take opportunity or a situation like this interrupts the normative affairs and protocols of life, we got to step back and begin to consider, how am I living? And, 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 and is how I'm living, is my faithfulness, is my responsiveness to God in any way an indication that I am submitted to him? Has anything changed? Has anything been modified? Has anything been altered? 
Paul says the command, the instruction for all these Christians is that we would be filled with this knowledge so that we might walk in a manner worthy to the Lord. And what does that look like? He says it is fully pleasing to Him. I mean, there are no shortage of things that we could run down through during this time. And and some of us have more time and some of us have less time and we feel more pressure because our our jobs and responsibilities haven't gotten less, but they've just gotten more difficult to accomplish. Some of the things that I think would be helpful for us to consider in this time is our use of time. Are you desiring to fully please the Lord in how you use time? Are you desiring to fully please the Lord in, in how you use time? You can give yourself to uninterrupted binging of TV shows and ingesting social media and watching the news and trying to figure out if the good news or the bad news is right. You can give yourself to, to unchecked engagement in time, satisfying yourself. Or you can submit your time to the Lord. And you say, Lord, I want to be a faithful steward of the time you've given me, knowing that in your providence you brought my life into this lane, and I want to be faithful in how I use my time. And if that's you, then I would encourage you just to keep a running chronicle of your time. How are you spending your time? Let us be those who use our time in an effort to please the Lord. What about our thoughts? What about our thoughts and our thought patterns? We're kind of restricted into our actions, so to speak. But where are you controlling your thoughts? Are you letting your thoughts uh, be set on delighting in good news or finding yourself in sorrow and bad news or in unpromising news? The Bible tells us that we should take every thought captive. As the people of God living in submission to Jesus Christ, we should seek to take our thoughts captive should think on those things that please our Lord. And in those moments of despair and anxiety, we remind ourselves of God's goodness to us in Matthew 6. We remind ourselves of of the purpose of difficulties in James chapter 1. We reorient our thoughts. We reorient our pattern of mind according to those things that please Him. So what Paul gives us in in, uh, this last little bit here is is this decided picture of what it looks like to walk in a way that's fully pleasing to him. Look at what he says. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Do you remember the movie Forrest Gump? And so Forrest Gump, I, I gotta be honest, it's, it's one of my favorite movies. I've watched it over and over and over again. But there's this classic scene where it, it kind of pans to this newscaster and she's talking about Forrest who at this point is coming back across the U.S. for his fourth time. And so it, it pulls to the shot of him, and he's got this insane beard that I could never grow, and he's got the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company hat on in these classic running shorts, and he's just kind of trugging down through there. He's doing a pace that I could actually maintain, not for the distance that he did. But in the midst of it, they're like, here comes Forrest Gump, and he's running across the world for the, running across the U.S. for the fourth time, and here he is about to cross the Mississippi River. Mr. Gump! Are you running? Your, and so they run through all these deals. All these, all these captures are coming to him. Are you running for homelessness? Are you running for world peace? Are you running for this? Are you running for this? And he just says, I just felt like a running, right? There's no purpose to his running. The brother just wanted to get up and go for a jog and didn't know when enough is enough, right? And so what we see in this is that you and I cannot change our lives at all. 
We cannot use this as an opportunity to reevaluate our motives. We can not use this as an opportunity to evaluate, what I, is, is what I'm doing pleasing the Lord? We can just go about with just kind of mindless, unengaged obedience is probably what we'd refer to it as. But Paul, what the Holy Spirit calls us, not to indifference and, and muscle memory engagement, but he calls us to fruitfulness. He says, in this effort to walk in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord, you need to be bearing fruit in every good work. And in a desire to walk out faithfully before the Lord, you need to be increasing in the knowledge of God. The Apostle Paul gives us a much longer list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then against such things there is no law. This idea that we need to be growing in fruitfulness. We need to be abounding in fruitfulness, bearing fruit. Paul had previously said this about the gospel back in verse 6. He says, the gospel has come to you, and indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. The gospel is, is bearing fruit. The seeds of the gospel planted it is leading to full, vibrant believers and followers of Jesus Christ. But as the gospel which has taken root in your heart is growing, it is blossoming, it is producing fruitfulness, we have this understanding that we join in with God in this good work. Man, there is work that is good for you to do right now. Paul, speaking of the church in Colossae, had said that they had faith in God and love for the saints. Man, our shepherds are weekly calling a different portion of our membership and a different portion of our visitors every week, seeing what their needs are and asking them how they can pray for them, both spiritually and physical needs. And then we have no short number of people, no small number of people who every week call and say, man, what can I do? How can I be engaged? Seek to be engaged where God has you. Be intentional and be a missionary in your neighborhood. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know what your neighbors need. In this time of social distancing and separateness, it's going to require some creativity on your part. But that's not a bad thing. Just because something isn't easy, just because something isn't uh, able to be done with, with very little effort doesn't mean you should abandon it. If you're not creative, pray to God and say, God of all creativity, God of all wisdom, how can I serve my neighbor? And he may lead you to say, listen, just pray for your neighbor. Or he may lead you to say, listen, listen, you need to take some of your provisions, disinfect them, and go give them to your neighbor. You need to put a post-it note on your neighbor's door that just says, look, I'm praying for you. I care for you. I'm a Christian. What can I do for you? It might be like uh, yesterday, one of my neighbors was walking down the street, an older woman, and I just said, let us know if we can help you. We have things. We have ways of getting stuff to you. I know that her husband doesn't leave the house. There are ways that we need to be engaging our neighbors and pressing into them with the hope found in the gospel. This is the time where Christians can rise up and bear fruit. Not much time when Christians are withdraw within and seek to protect and care for themselves only. People, this is an opportunity for us to be radically engaged, not to pull back and to remove our saltiness from being able to touch and impact the world. 
He says we need to bear fruit in every good work. And then he says you need to increase in the knowledge of God. Now, Paul has, has just prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will, right? So he's prayed that the Holy Spirit would come in and would equip you with these things. And so we know that there is the possibility, the potential for us to grow in knowledge. And then he comes in, he says, and this is what you need to do. You need to be growing. And so this is what this looks like. As we grow in fruitfulness and knowledge, we're growing closer to the heart of God in holiness. And as we grow closer to the heart of God in holiness, we grow closer to God and more impactful to the world because we're bearing more fruit and because we are increasing the knowledge of God. And so the question comes, how do I increase in the knowledge of God? Well, listen, in some sense, there's, there's always some new book. There's always some new uh, idea for how to do this. And I feel like some of us, what we really want is for somebody to write this book that says, it's simple. You want to go close to the Lord? Stand on your left foot, put your left finger on your nose, put your right hand up into the sky, close your left eye, and then tug down on your right ear as hard as you possibly can. And in that, you look completely foolish and you aren't growing in the knowledge of God, right? This is kind of what we want. We want this understanding that there's there's some process we need to engage. Let me give it to you in two simple things. Read the Bible and pray. Read the Bible and pray. This is it. You want to grow closer to the Lord? You want to grow in your knowledge of the Lord? Open up your Bible Read top to bottom, left to right. When you hit the end of a page, do this number right here. Check this out. Turn the page. It's killer. Let me show you. Uh, listen, check this out. This is a page. These are words. These are two columns in this case. And so I'm going to start here. I'm going to go left to right. I'm going to take breath. And I'm going to go to the next line. I'm going to go left to right. I'm going to do that. What is this, like 152 sets, Okay. And so left to right, top to bottom. And when I hit the end of that, I'm going to turn this page, and I'm just going to do it again. If you want to grow closer to the Lord, read your Bible. If you want to know what the heart of God is for this community and for the people of God in this time, read the Bible. If you want to have a conversation with God, pray. If you want to grow in the knowledge of God, read your Bible and pray. The enemy is going to find no small number of ways to distract you and to keep you focused on doing other things. It's not an either or. We need to be engaged and we need to be growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God is what will ultimately lead to increased fruitfulness and increased impactfulness. Read your Bible and pray. Paul says we need to do this by being strengthened with all power. There are those of us who read this and are like, bear fruit and everything, I need to grow in the knowledge of God. Man, I'm just exhausted reading this. I'm just exhausted reading this. And, and is it really even all that important? Can I just do these things on my own? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Know this. You absolutely need the empowerment of God to stand in this time and in every time. The great delusion that many Christians buy into is we only really need God when things get difficult. You need God every day. You need, to God, you need God to sustain your ordinary breath. You need God to sustain your ordinary faithfulness. You need God every day because there's a supernatural force at work seeking to tear you down, rend your life worthless, leaving you unimpactful, unfruitful, and far from the knowledge of him. We need his strength. 
We need his equipping. Paul tells us that in the midst of this walk where we're trying to go out and do these things, that God himself is strengthening us with all power. And you look at it and say, really, can his power be all that great? Can it be all that wonderful? Can it be all that beneficial to us? This power is measured by his might. And we're called to enjoy it. We're called to exercise that. Paul, writing again to the church in Ephesus, And Ephesus, in Ephesians 6.10, said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul here refers to it as his glorious might. This is the the, the strength that God exercised in creation. This is the might that he used when he spoke the world into existence, when he separated the sea from the dry land, when he hung the heavens, when he established the earth, when he cast the stars out. This might that he describes here, which is strengthening you, and the strength that he has for you here, which is enabling you to walk, is the might that's sustaining the very universe even right now. From the furthest expanse of the universe to the innermost part of your heart, the atomic level, our God, by the power of his word, is sustaining all of these things. And by the same power which raised Jesus from the dead is mightily at work in you enabling you to walk and be faithful. Amen? We need the faithfulness of our God. We need His might. And why? He says, we need these things for all endurance and patience. Endurance, uh, one commentator described as defiant perseverance in the face of aggressive misfortune. You hear that? Defiant perseverance in the face of aggressive misfortune. Now is the time for endurance. Now is not a time to grow weak. Now is not a time to grow faint. Now is a time for endurance and patience. N.T. Wright said it this way. He said, endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation. Patience is what they show to an apparently impossible person. And God equips us with both. God's strength is sufficient to help you endure. God's strength is sufficient to cause you to be patient. The most impatient, weak-kneed, enfeebled, coward-laden one of us out there. His strength is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And He will carry us through. Friends, as we've heard this and listened to this, some of us, man, you are faithfully walking out all these things. Your faithfulness to God, your devotion to Him over many years or many months or many weeks or maybe just many days prior to this is reaping an abundant harvest and displaying God's faithfulness. You are fully relying on God's strength and equipping each day. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't. So in this time, seek ways to encourage those around you who are falling weak. And if you are weak in this time, if you are struggling in this time, my encouragement to you is that you would lean into the Lord. Recognize that God has not forsaken you. He has not left you alone. He's not given you some other task to complete or to fulfill. He says in this walking, in this bearing fruit, in this increasing in the knowledge that you're doing all of these things through his strength, not your own. Lean into the Lord. Don't forsake, don't be bitter, don't be disappointed, don't be embarrassed by your weakness. 
relish the fact that God has exposed your weakness to draw you into more intimate relationship with him. See, it's strength in you so that you might turn around and encourage others. Man, I'm convinced that some of us in the midst of this, man, we were assured that we were Christians. We could have pointed back to our baptism. We could have pointed back to the Sundays on uh, Easter or Christmas or, or the, those times when we had been in church or we had we'd sacrificed for church, but this time has caused you to just radically reevaluate. You feel far from the Lord. You feel like you are abandoned by Him. And as you discern your heart, the strength of your salvation wasn't some formulaic thing that you said. The strength of any of us in salvation is the sufficiency of Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. How do I know that I'm saved? I know that I'm saved because I know Jesus died. I know that Jesus was raised. And I know that he has called me to him. The assurance of my salvation rests in the sure thing that he accomplished, not in my response to him. But maybe in the midst of this, you come to recognize that you never really came to know the Lord. And so you're in the same category of people who in this time, you've been far from the Lord, you've disbelieved in him, you've not ever considered going to church. Why would you do that? What a terrible thing to do. What a waste of a Sunday morning. But in this time, you can see that you're coming to the end of yourself. You're coming to the end of your self-sufficiency. A friend, it could be that for this time, that God has allowed you to experience brokenness so that he could make you whole. And it could be in this time that God has allowed you to experience emptiness so that he could fill you up. And it could be in this time that God has shown you the emptiness of your self-sufficiency and of your worldview to create room in your heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, the creator God of the universe loves you. Even though that we were lost and wayward in our sin and all of humanity rebelled against God, we, we fell in the garden with Adam and we fall each day that we disobey God's character or his law. That even knowing these things, God sent his perfect son Jesus to die on a cross. And having died of the penalty and the punishment of your sins and my sins, our God raised him from the dead and Jesus overcame sin and death. And he bids all men and women come to know the Father, confessing Jesus as Lord, forsaking sin, and receiving salvation. And if that's you, in just a moment, uh, when I pray, I'm going to ask you to email one of our elders or to connect uh, on the card that is going to be just to the left on your screen, I think, this, this, this message deal that you're able to send out. So let me pray for us as we're taking opportunities to pray that God would strengthen us, that he would equip us, and for some of us, that he would save us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for an opportunity to worship you. Father, I pray for our brothers and sisters who are strong in the faith. This has not created a crisis of faith in them. The God, that you would use the strong to serve the weak. God, I pray that you would bring the weak to yourself, this weak brother or sister in Christ, who feels just overcome. 
God, that they would receive encouragement through this message, that they would be strengthened with the mighty power that you give to them, the same power which raised Jesus from the dead. And Father, we pray for those who've never truly or who have never even considered submitting themselves to Christ. God, that you might use this situation, this time, to bring them to faith and trust in Jesus. And we submit these things to you in his name. Amen.